Howdy do, and welcome to Cinema Snorkel, the podcast where we dive below the themes and the ideas in movies. You hated that, didn't you? He does this to irk me. But we're going to keep that one. We're running with it. Hey, today, Carlin, is a really special day because we venture into unknown territory as far as Cinema Snorkel is concerned. Today, we are tackling Star a TV Wars. show. Star Wars. Oh, yeah, a TV show. Well... We haven't done a Star Wars, have we? No, we have not. For as much as we've talked about Star Wars on this show, we've never done one. Interesting. Yeah, a TV show, or a limited series, rather, which to me feels way different. Explain the difference to me, because I still don't know, and that's embarrassing. Well, a limited series, I know it's probably not new, but it feels like a new form. And in my mind, it differs because the focus is more on the meta plot than it is on each episodic uh, plot. But in a limited series, you have a complete story that you're driving towards the conclusion of, but you have plenty of time, more time than you would take in a movie to explore the characters, kind of set up some themes, build out the world a little bit, but it's, you know that it actually has an end in sight. You know, it's not, it's not just going to keep going and going for 12 seasons. Interesting. That's actually really helpful to me. Well, the show we are doing today, as you've probably seen from the title, is Andor. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? I need all the heroes I can get. For the greater good. Call it what you will. Let's call it war. Carlin, I'm so excited to do the show because this is, in my opinion, not only the best Star Wars show ever oh, produced easily down. and by a landslide. Like, it's comical to even have to say that because the other Star Wars shows, well, I have opinions you, on you them. You sure do. Uh, we could just put it if that way. If you like the other uh, Star Wars shows, then just close your eyes for a second. We're not talking about those miserable failures. <laughs> we're talking about one of the best <laughs> Truly, not just one of the best Star Wars TV shows that's ever been made. I think just one of the best TV mm. shows that's ever mm-hmm. been made. I was just pitching it to my friend, and she doesn't know anything about Star Wars. She's seen like half of one of the movies, and she's like, "Do you think I could watch Andor without seeing any of it?" And I was like, "Yeah, it it needs no context, yes. honestly." Yeah, that's not to say that it will uh, it won't make you work a little bit because I know for the first three or four episodes for me, I was like, "Where is this going?" <laughs> but oh my goodness, by the time we hit that middle story yeah. arc the prison yeah, arc that was that's that was my favorite arc i was on the edge of my couch yelling out loud this is the best show i've ever seen <laughs> hannah was like wow okay i get it she under she she knows enough by now she's very patient <laughs> with you she's very patient yeah no it's incredible someone pointed out to me that the inciting incident in literally the first five minutes of runtime Andor walks into a brothel bar place and he's looking for his sister. Then he gets into a little kerfuffle with the the military personnel and one of them accidentally dies. And so he has to kill the other one. That is the inciting incident that puts him on the radar of what's the name of the around it. They're like, so, all right, I'll just fly my nerd flag here and explain. They're in different parts of the empire. There are different like designated provinces Mm-hmm. and systems. And so there's one system called the corporate zone where the empire has allowed these systems to have their own private security so that they can do business to the absolute maximum extent possible. But the oh. empire up until the events of Andor doesn't really step in with a heavy hand. Gotcha. So it's private security. See, this is what makes the show so cool right. is that they set up stuff like this that's so believable. 
Right. And it fills out the world in ways that just make sense, but you'd never really thought about. It's like they're kind of pulling back the curtain and you're like, this is what's th- this is what the Empire is like. Yes. You actually kind of root for some of those characters yeah. like that are climbing their way up or... Yeah. Yeah, we see the in- industrial bones of what makes a galaxy work. But what I was going to say is, so uh, Cassian gets in this kerfuffle. Just want to say that word again. Nice. Two guys end up dead and then that's the inciting incident and they carry that incident all the way through to the final episode. What do you mean by that? Like, the show is laser-focused on Cassie. I mean, it's about Cassie, and how does he go from being just kind of like a head-down Joe Schmo, like, a little bit indifferent to the cause, to dedicating the rest of his life to serving the Hmm. rebellion? Hmm. That's where we find him in Rogue One, Hmm. right? He's, like, fully dedicated, prepared to lay down his life. Yeah. And we know that he eventually does do that. Yeah. Like, everything that happens is is important right <laughs> to the plot there are no macguffins either right that's something i grew to appreciate about the show more and more they really take their time there's a slow build to each of the three major arcs the aldani heist the prison escape and the uprising on ferrix but you're so right nothing is wasted and that let me just relax and enjoy the show in a show where i know that things are superfluous or accidental or just silly it's weird it's hard for me to relax because i'm just like are they just messing with yeah. me are they just wasting my time yeah. and or wastes nothing they eat the whole elephant so to speak they eat that whole no, where in the world does that phrase come from who says that are you going around eating elephants no i've never eaten an elephant what <laughs> But you know how to eat an elephant. One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Hey, Casey, how do you how do you put an elephant in the refrigerator? How? Well, you open the door, you put the elephant in, and then you close the door. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> Carlin, what did you... Okay, but wait. Wait. How do you put a giraffe in the refrigerator? How? Well, you tell me. Well, you open the door, you put the giraffe mm-hmm. in the refrigerator, and you close mm-hmm. the door. You open the door, you take the elephant out, you put the giraffe in, and then you close the door. So dumb. All right, Carlin, what did anyway, you... Wait, there's more. <laughs> okay, go. Get it out of your the, system. The animal king is having an animal meeting. Which animal won't be there? The giraffe, because he's in the refrigerator? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good job. Okay. Good job. Okay, we're, we're done now. We're done with that. that. That was good. All right. <laughs> What did you like? I mean, in general, what were the thematic things? What were the stylistic things that you appreciated about Andor? Oh, man. Can I say everything? You can. (laughs) Well, this feels like such a break from what we've been getting out of the Star Wars kind of universe recently in that it's a little bit more mature and nuanced and takes itself with more gravity. Mm, It's not mind-numbing drivel, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. Someone explained it this way. There's not a thousand Star Destroyers. What's better than one Star Destroyer? A hundred! Yeah. What's better than one planet-killing machine? A machine that can kill five planets at once. Quantity up, baby. (laughs) Increase. Here's, Here's another way to put it. After the first 15 minutes and no one had said, I don't have a good feeling about this. Right. And looked at the camera and winked. Yeah. We never saw the Millennium Falcon. Thank you. We never saw anyone. Anyone we recognized, except for like a few random characters that were like, oh, actually kind of want to know more about this Senator Mon 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 Mothma. Mothma. Yeah, right. She was so cool. Totally. 
Yeah, I think that's good. One thing that I noticed is that people walk at a normal pace because they're not filming in a self-enclosed green screen studio. Oh, <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> Even though they're new with like their 3D environment tech that everyone's all excited about, it just does not land they, in my mind. They filmed outside and you you can totally tell. It shows. Real sets too. They built out all the sets with wow. real props. <gasps> they built that. stunning. I love that. Uh, environments too and and or takes place in some incredible locations from Coruscant to the prison planet to even the space scenes yeah. you know where Luthen's trying to escape that imperial ship and they're right. above a planet I just that was like the only space scene by the right. way right uh, but I was looking at the planet below and I was like that's gorgeous they don't they don't mm -hmm. spare any detail it felt so real yeah. and let me just say this I'll get this out of my system the previous Star Wars mm -hmm. shows I think very little of but there's a, a pecking order to those yeah. you're allowed to like the Star Wars shows I'll just say but for me I put Boba Fett and I won't judge you personally I can't speak for Casey <laughs> but I won't judge you if you like Star Wars Obi-Wan and Boba Fett both belong uh, in the you know consigned to oblivion I was I wasn't just like disappointed at Obi-Wan I was mad that they brought Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor back and and blew it oh they blew it it that, that show was terrible and some people are like well I really liked it. and I'm like I hear you <laughs> but but I disagree and I'm right and you're wrong anyway the, those shows those shows are trash the Mandalorian had some great moments so I the Mandalorian in my yeah. mind is is redemptive Grogu. and he ate a frog baby it's nostalgic because of COVID it was like oh thank god there's a show mm. there's a show and so everyone gathered around the radio set to watch god bless Disney <laughs> the plus. Mandalorian yeah so I so I just want to put that out there yeah okay all right and you've watched like the Clone All Show. Oh, the Clone Wars is good, and uh, yeah, and you know another Clone Wars fan when you meet him. That show ended up being really good. So okay, I that's right. Clone Wars is up there. All right. So, but what did you like about Andor? Thank you, man. The level of detail they employed made me look up the writer, which is Tony Gilroy, who is now a name that I'm never gonna forget. He's also the writer on The Born Identity. Did you know that? Oh. Which is another masterpiece. All the Bourne movies or just the Bourne Identity? I think he did a few of them, but I, I, in my opinion, the Bourne Identity is one of the best movies ever made. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. And Tony Gilroy's writing is so present in that, too, because, again, and I think I'm starting to say this every episode, he builds a world with credible stakes and then he plays by the rules that he that he made. Yeah. And that's how you immerse an audience yeah. in a film. That's how you make action feel meaningful. Uh-huh. That's how yes. dialogue pops because it means something. You're not just parroting words that you've ripped out of context and slapped on another, you know, character for them to say. It, each character is thinking as a character would. It's just called good writing. Yeah. It's just good writing. So I had like a series of top scenes. I don't know if you had this, Carlin, but I figured we could alternate saying our top scenes in it. Yeah. What do you, you want to do that? Well, my, what I came up with was a list of, of three speeches that I want to talk about. Ooh, okay. And so there might be some overlap, but let's just take it as it comes and see what happens. Well, no, say, say your top speeches. I want to hear those. Well, I'll just say what they are. Um, the first one is Luthen to his informant with the red hair. He's right. standing in the elevator. Crazy. Luthen's speech is in front. The second one is Kino Loy's speech over the intercom to mm. the prisoners as they're escaping. And then the third one is the mom's speech to all the people after she dies in the telegram. Telegram. Tele. Tele. You can do it. Telegram? Teleport. Tele you got this. Vision. Let's go. <laughs> 
telestration in her big telestration speech. You can do it. <laughs> it it's a monkey. It's it's a big. It, it's a it's a guy with a, a stick. I don't know it, what you're referencing. She's playing telestrations. <laughs> I've never played that, so that joke's lost on me. It's like charades, but you're just drawing with the, with the dry erase. Oh. I don't know why that got me so good. <laughs> it's just because it's this rousing speech where she's like encouraging them all to fight back against the empire, but she just has to use a dry erase. <laughs> uh. They're all just trying to guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony Gilroy, masterful writing. How he incorporated <laughs> telestrations into that. I'll admit I didn't see it coming, but man, masterful use of telestrations. All right, I don't know why I can't pull it together. Apparently, I needed to laugh today. No, we can do it. Listen. <laughs> okay, so those are the three speeches. Yeah, so good. And why those speeches, Carlin, for you? Like, what. Yeah, why do they rise to that level for you? Well, each one of them just felt like, uh, okay, this is going to be insightful to not only the characters, but also I feel like what this whole series is driving towards. Like the themes. I just mm. think those are going to be keys mm. to understanding yeah. what this thing is all about. Uh, tell me about your key scenes. I loved, uh, first of all, I think the episode that really just glued me to my chair and I was like, this is incredible, was episode six where they pull off the heist during the eye. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was Rewatched cool. it last night, actually, and I forgot about how many little moments they add to that. Like, for example, the, the other dude who's on the team, is tr he exposes Cassian as a mercenary right before they go yeah. do this. Oh. So the, oh, I forgot about the dramatic that. tension within the team is at a high point and it's been building for episodes and episodes. Uh -huh. And really, it's a valid concern for all of them to have as they look at now Cassian, whose their lives are in his hand. And they're like, is, is this dude a believer in our cause or is he a selfish mercenary? It's fascinating, too, because of the payout with that character who escapes with him. And then at the very end of that episode is like, look, you and I could take the ship and Cassian shows yeah. his true colors by mm, murdering that guy in cold blood, whatever. Yeah. Rough. But Cassian actually is, uh, he's not going to betray people. For all yeah. of his uh, character development, he still needs to do. He's not going to betray these rebels who he's fought and died alongside of. Well, he hasn't died, but, you know, they have. He, <laughs> but he's gonna. Yeah. Well, can I ask you a quick question about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he doesn't join that guy I was watching it and I was like, oh, yeah, it makes me love Cassie. And he's like, not a betrayer. Like, yeah, he is there for the money, um, but he's honest about it, at least at that point. Right. And he's like, look, I'm not going to betray you guys. And I wanted to trust him. But then the thought crossed my mind. What if he just recognizes that this guy is a double crosser and you shouldn't be on a team with a double crosser? And so he just takes the best way out. But then I, he doesn't take his pay. He leaves. He he just takes right. his share and then leaves, right? Right. Yeah, he doesn't try to get more out of it than he uh, is supposed to. And although it's confusing, and again, I thought this was good. I felt like his motivations made a lot of sense there because Luthen, the guy who recruited him, mm -hmm. Cassian has an instinct about him that he's not afraid to sacrifice some pawns in the game. And Cassian is a pawn. And so the it makes sense that he doesn't just go running into the arms of the rebel leader girl yeah, right then and there. Right. He's a little standoffish. He's not going to betray her, but he's not like BFFs with her anyway. Yeah. 
I just think that made perfect sense of everything they'd been through. Um, I also noticed Carlin, and this is amazing, just the call, the callbacks to not just Rogue One, the movie, but a theme that comes up. So when they're escaping through the eye mm-hmm. and the wholesome rebel guy, whose name is Nemec. Who's writing the manifesto. Yes. He's like on his last leg. They hit him with a med stim or whatever. And he's, he's dying, but he's guiding them out of this oh. danger. And he goes, climb, climb. He's echoing what K2SO, that droid that Cassie and his friends with yeah. in Rogue One, right as K2SO is getting shot up, he yells at them, climb, because they have to climb the data tower oh, to get the Death Star plans. Wow, I have goosebumps. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's not just there. It's it's beautiful. It has symmetry with the rest of the story. And that's what Kino Loy yells to the prisoners when yes. in his speech over the intercom, he's like, climb, fight, kill, whatever you have to do, one way out. Yes. One way out. Yes, I was gonna. I was gonna point that out because the themes keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible episode. That prison uh, breakout was like I almost cried at the end when Kino Loy can't jump oh. off the tower and into the ocean. Yeah, it's selfless. The look on his face. Well, because I, I think he realizes, oh, we're gonna have to swim to get out of here. One way out. But he's fulfilling what he said he would do. He said, "I'd rather die fighting than giving them what they want." Yeah. And there's kind of a look on his face that's like, yeah, I'm about to die, but we did it. We, and also, I'll just point out, we don't know if Kino Loy is is dead or what. True. Although, people die so quick in this movie. Like, you don't get attached to anybody because they're probably going to die. <laughs> Refreshing, isn't it? They're not keeping them around for merch fodder, you know? <laughs> so that they <laughs> can just come gonna... walking through the theme parks at some point. They're just trying to tell a good story. Yeah, and what that does, that raises the stakes, just like you said. Like, if you know, like, they killed Nemec. You thought, this guy's really cool, we like him, he's got a lot to offer, there's so much more to learn about him, and um, and he dies, like, really early. Oh, like, no one makes yeah. it out of that heist alive, right? Unless I'm wrong, it's just Cassian and the girl. Yep. Well, I was gonna say, if we've learned anything, though, from the whole f- spinoff of Rogue One, is that the smaller stories can be the most powerful. Easily. The ones that we know are finite. When we know Cassian's going to die in five years, those stories can still be moving. You don't have to have 16 Death Stars to raise the right. stakes. You just have to make it more. Oh, it's like um, it's like that story about uh, two brothers. Do you remember the story of two brothers? Y- yes. Say it again. Say it again. My theater coach, Jen, would say this story about two brothers. One day, a genie came and said, I'll give you any wish you want. And the first brother said, make me a giant so I can travel, you know, hundreds of miles in a single step. And then I can see the world. And the younger brother said, make me the size of an ant. And so the older brother became a giant and he traveled the world and saw everything in less than a year. And then he had nothing left to explore. And the younger brother spent the rest of his life exploring that one little patch of dirt. And the moral of the story is, the world is short to wander, but far to wonder. Short to wander, but far to wonder. I yeah. like that. The wonderment being zeroing in on the smaller Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And there's, there's plenty of material there. It's among the reasons why the Superman movies have never really interested me. Because it's just two invincible guys punching each other and punching each other and punching each other. And it just doesn't matter. Into buildings. Yeah, but through buildings and through like three buildings at once. So that's cool. More buildings. Yeah. Maybe if they'd gone through a hundred buildings. Okay, now I'm paying attention. Then they could punch each other into space. Oh, that'd be awesome. (laughs) They could drive their sick cars into space. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that just 
was jaw-dropping to the extent that I paused it multiple times was the dialogue that Tony Gilroy oh. has written. When Mon Mothma, for example, meets with that Chandrillan crime lord, Davil Skolden. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that wants to, he's going to try to make a deal for her daughter. Yes. And they're sitting yeah. on the couch. It's, I think it's in episode nine. I can't remember. But go back and rewatch that. It is a masterclass in dialogue because they really are living in their Chandrillan culture. They're not telling us about it. They, they are a little bit, but they're showing us what it's like to be Chandrillan in this high society. How do you bargain? Ma Matha is like the epitome of poise. And yet she's thrown off by this crime lord who's willing to be just yeah. a little more honest than she is. Fascinating. He's breaking some social taboos. He's rich enough to afford that. Yeah. And they set up this relationship with her daughter very subtly because you only get like two or three scenes with her. But she's like weirdly indoctrinated by like the old ways. She likes their traditions. quite understand. Yeah, she likes their traditions. But you hear in the other room chanting and she's like maybe even interested in being betrothed at a super young age. And Mon Mothma goes, you're assuming that I don't find a problem with this tradition. Right. Um, and she's heartbroken that her daughter is following this path. And here comes this guy who could solve all her problems, but at the price of her daughter's hand in marriage. And that that was her fate. And you can tell she's miserable in her marriage. And she's like, I could not wish that on my yeah. daughter. But he says, it's a lot to think about. And she goes, I'm not thinking about it. And he's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, he says, um, that's the first untrue thing you've said. This whole time. And the themes running through that are powerful. Mon Mothma is fighting for the rebellion. She believes in it. But she's not at the level of Luthen, which is... Luthen's like, to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. And Mothma is not there yet. Uh, But Davo, the crime lord, is. He understands he's a realist. And so, though they're talking in code... They're actually shooting straight with each other eventually. And what's Mm -hmm. interesting is you watch the power uh, shift in that scene. Mothma holds it at the beginning, and then Davo holds it when he leaves. Mothma's advocating Mm. for tradition at the beginning. Remember, she's like, it's, you know, our apartment is very strict. It's it's anchored in, you know, the the old ways, the Chandrillan tradition. We don't have a lot of say in how we decorate it. She's feeling safe Mm -hmm. because her traditions are protecting her in that sense. Because Davo's Mm -hmm. insinuating that he wants to come back and kind of make this place his home. And she's saying, well, essentially, that's not going to work because, you know, according to tradition, we're locked in a certain style of doing things and decorating. Uh And I'm afraid... Decorating being code for... Mixing it up. Whatever else he has in mind. You thought you'd be... Because he says, I always thought I'd be coming back here a lot more. And she's like, well, you know, essentially she's insinuating tradition dictates that, you know, you probably wouldn't. Okay. Then there's a point when it comes to the marriage of her daughter that they flip. And suddenly mm. Davo is saying, you know, there's some beauty in these traditions. Wouldn't you agree? And suddenly she's going, not that tradition. That's not the tradition right. that I prefer that makes me feel safe, that protects my family. He's weaponized yeah. her sense of comfort against her in that conversation. Dang, it's like chess. And by the end, her character arc is that she's suddenly, she's willing to descend at least to that level to make it happen. Complicated themes. Okay. Yes. So that conversation is illustrating uh, Mon Mothma's pressure on her 
to become probably more like Luthen. Whereas her hands have been clean up to this point and now they're about to get dirty. Right. More or less. Yeah. The other conversation, Carlin, that I paused it and rewatched it again immediately was Luthen's uh-huh. second conversation with Saw Gerrera, where Luthen reveals that he knew fellow rebel Anto oh, Krieger was going to yeah. get ambushed by the Imperials, but wasn't going to save him. In order to protect his inside guy. Yes. And Saw is a smart cookie and realizes that. And they have this kind of cagey standoff in the cave where my heart was pounding through my shirt because I, I, I didn't know how this was going to go. Right. Saw Guerrero is a loose cannon. Yeah. And he's very self-protective. Yeah. And he realizes he, he might not be a pawn, but he's like a bishop or a rook in Luthen's game. Hmm. And it puts him on edge. Because he doesn't trust Luthen and he has his own kind of ideals about the rebellion. I think Saw Guerrero, they set him up as a character who's willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. To destroy the empire and that's why later they're like he's a radical he's caused us too much problems that's why they he's he's not in touch with any of them by the time rogue one happens more or less <laughs> they have to reach out to him remember that's part of rogue one yeah. is like oh we have to go reestablish ties with saw so re- remind me what happens between him and luthan again so luthan comes in and and saw says okay the attack on the power station we're in we'll provide air power but we want the spoils and luthan oh it's such good writing because it's flowing straight out of the character uh, and the way that Soren uh, Skarsgård delivers those lines is incredible. He's like, uh, I think not. And Saw goes, what do you mean? You were so eager. And so uh, Luthen realizes he has to tip his hand now to Saw. He can't keep being the puppet master behind the scenes. He needs Saw in. And it comes across as a little manipulative, and he knows it because suddenly he, now because he's cornered, Saw has checkmated him into revealing now his plans, right? Uh, and so uh, Saw is like, you have someone with Krieger. You have someone with the ISB. You have someone here with me. Who is it? Who is it? And he sort of provokes this mini confrontation where he's like, what are you talking about? You know, you're full of it. Walks up. Luthen grabs his gun, holds it to Saw's face. And he's like, I'm doing this so you'll listen. It's such a high point. <laughs> like... You know, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Saw actually ends up listening. He says, if I were ISB, why wouldn't I just send you out there with him? And so Saw realizes, okay, whatever else Luthen is, he's not with the Imperials. So he's like, okay, let's do it. We'll sacrifice Krieger. Mm-hmm. And Luthen says something like, it's, let's call it a necessary sacrifice. And Saw says, let's call it war. In other words, Saw is Whoa. on board with getting his hands as dirty as he needs to. That doesn't mean he trusts Luthen, but it does yeah. mean he's willing to sacrifice another rebel for the cause. It's like we all forgot what good yeah. writing can be like. Yeah. It asks something from you. Like, you can't zone out. You can't be, like, making dinner while you're watching the show. You really have to be paying attention. And I feel yeah. rusty. <laughs> I started reading some Jane Austen recently, and it's, like, taken me a minute yeah. to get back into it because I'm so used to reading, like, easy pop TikTok kind yeah. of literature. But it's so much more rewarding because you get so much nuance and subtlety. And yes. It can just pack such a punch that way. Yeah, it's so good, Car. And uh, I think highlighting those uh, scenes makes me think of the overarching themes of the show. Yeah. You want to get into that? Yes, I do. So the first one that we were kind of just talking about in my mind is... 
Well, they reflect each other. Dang. So, like you said, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, which is Luthen, kind of centered around Luthen and his character. Yeah. Ironically, you get a mirror image of that in uh, the One Way Out theme. Hmm. Be- yeah, say more. Because it is kind of the same. Like, those guys are in prison. And the one way out is we got to kill a bunch of guards. A lot of us are going to die. Some of us are going to have to be sacrificed. And most of us probably won't make it. But there's one way out. So we got to take it. But those two themes fill you with such different sorts of feelings. Yes. Say more. Why Why is but, that? But aren't they kind of the same thing? You know, that's interesting. I, when I was prepping for this, I put them as different themes. Okay. I think you're dead right. Like, two of the main themes are, like, struggle in the face of overwhelming odds. Uh-huh. And the ends versus the means of an early mm-hmm. kind of stage in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I put them as different. I think they're different because I see Cassian learning how to deal with struggle in the face of overwhelming odds. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and as a subset of that, sort of the idea that you can't run from evil. Huh. So I, I see Cassian's whole journey as being under that, where he starts out wanting to just do what's right for Cassian. Right. right? And, and even after the Eldani heist, he runs to that tropical planet. And I was just like, no. He's just going to have a little vacay. Why are you doing that? Yeah. And then he realizes there's no vacation in the Empire. Yeah. There's nowhere that's safe where you can go and be away from the power of the Imperials. Yeah. Uh, and then in prison, that hits a climax with Kino Loy, who Kino is like, even in Im- Imperial prison, he's like, just keep your head down and we get out of this if we stay alive, right? Like, right. like don't try to resist, right? So, so then they have to deal with why should we struggle in the face of overwhelming odds? And I think that's a distinct theme. Yeah. But for the ones who are already activated, I see being that question of the ends versus the means. And and to me that that is like the struggle of Luthen and Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. So you got your side characters struggling with ends and means and saws in that camp. You know that's like a whole side mm-hmm. uh, thread that's being woven. And Cassian deals with that too. Mm-hmm. It's like it's clear he's not above just shooting people first. You know yeah. that's like the Cassian motif. So <laughs> oh, Cassian killed someone first. Uh, okay. Classic. <laughs> Does that, I mean, do you agree with that? Oh, was that a Star Wars joke? Well, because they had that classic Han Solo. Did Han Solo <laughs> shoot first? Did he shoot Greedo? You know. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right, right. I know about that, but I don't know about it as a first person observer. I just know well, about it. Well, what happened was in the first rendition of Star Wars, Han just, just obliterates Greedo, you know, after their their witty he's, dialogue. He's yeah. like the little alien who's like, He's like, you know, he's like, Jabba wants his money, you know, and he's like, I bet nice. you would, Greedo. Fries him. Then when Lucas did sort of his digital revamp of the Star Wars original trilogy, he added Greedo's oh. blaster shooting a little shot that goes past Han's head and hits the wall. So then, oh, it's like Han shooting in self-defense. So he's trying to justify Han Solo just shooting this guy up. It's the definition of, and listen, I'll be clear from a moral angle, I, I don't really like that Han shot first, or at least I'm unclear about it, but uh, Lucas there <laughs> invented the retcon, you know, yeah. retroactive uh, continuity. continuity. Yeah, where he like made it so that Han, so then you get all these t-shirts where they're like, Han shot first. So it's almost a way of Tony Gilroy and the gang being like, okay, we don't do that around here. Like, we don't do retcon. 
you know, like almost to be like, yeah, if they're making that theme, I just want to be clear. They're not making it at the expense of the plot because that's not how they roll. But it is yeah, interesting no. to wonder. I'm sure they thought of that. And I've heard that he's not even really a like a franchise fan. Like he didn't really know too much about Star Wars before he started doing uh, Rogue One. That's so good because it means he's not captive to Disney money or cheap nostalgia. Yeah. He's going to tell a story. With the help of people who I'm sure helped him iron out every potential continuity thing. Sure. Like the lore masters of Star Wars who get paid literally to know about Star Wars these days. You know those guys exist. It's the rule of don't be precious to me. Yeah. You know, when you're making art, you can get a little precious about it because it's your baby and you want everyone to like it and you want to make it so that everyone likes it and you, but you also don't want to like sacrifice anything. And in all of the Andor spinoffs, nobody's precious. Everyone's expendable. You got to break a few eggs if you're going to make a really good series. Oh, great tie-in. So let's talk about that theme. Let's talk about breaking a few eggs to make the omelet. All right. ends versus the means. What, Carlin, do you think the filmmakers are trying to say about that right. very Right, not what we theme? think, what the filmmakers are trying to say. Okay, let's, let's think about it. Okay, this brings up that speech for me with Luthen talking to his plant. So his plant comes to him. His, like, imperial spot. Um, who, exactly, his imperial I was thinking sp- of him talking to, like, a ficus or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that like, deleted scene. He's, like, watering his plants all tenderly. Uh, sorry, then he but plays no, a little game him. of Pictionary with them. Not Pictionary. <laughs> tele- tele- <laughs> Whatever. Um, his imperial insider guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guy comes down the elevator, and you hear him talking. He's like, well, I just had, a, like, my wife had a baby, and I'm out. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And Luthen's like, I'm sorry, but you're not going anywhere. You're too valuable to the cause. Like, we've sacrificed already a ton to get you where you are. You've been doing this six years. You can't walk away at this point. I'm sorry. I sympathize with you. He says, I think about you constantly. Um, and the guy goes, do you know what it's like to sacrifice um, because this guy is living with a guilty conscience and trying to hold this charade around these, you know, super scary imperial people. And right. and Luthen says, what have I sacrificed? Calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote. 15 years ago, from which there's only one conclusion, I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight, they've set me on a path from which there is no escape. I've yearned to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What's my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. That is so powerful, those words. Now, the question I want to ask is, and I think that we might not come away with a super clear answer because they're trying to highlight how murky it is down there. Yeah. Even the setting, right? It's in the depths of Coruscant. Yeah. They're really trying to highlight that there's no rebellion, it seems like to me, without someone getting their hands dirty. Mm. Do you feel like that's fair? And Luthen is that guy. Yes. Well, it starts out by, I mean, the first half of the speech, he's all like, it's my pride that set me on this path. I didn't know what it was going to cost, but now I'm damned, blah, blah, blah. But then he ends it by saying, 
I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. So he's sad that he's not going to participate, but he still believes in the cause. He's willing to throw himself away so that someone else can enjoy the fruit of his sacrifice. So it sounds to me like it is murky, but he lands on, I'm still in this. Like, right. it's so worth it for me to do this. There's some nobility to that. Mm-hmm. And yet, I've heard some fan theories about this. Like, he, we don't know where Luthen's character is ultimately going to end up. Mm. We don't know what's going to come of him. And I think we won't really know. I think we won't really be able to comment fully on this until we see where they're taking him. Because right now he's living in the tension. Yeah. And we're not sure what they're trying to say. But I will note that, you know, I just listened to that last at the very end when Cassian gears up to go to the uprising on Ferrix. Yeah. He's listening to that dude Nemec's manifesto and he says, remember that freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously. And he juxtaposes it with the imperial need for control, which is brittle Mm -hmm. and has to keep being Mm. reinforced. It's interesting that Luthen has to have this speech with his imperial spy. Because Luthen is exercising authority and control over this guy, despite what he wants and probably even his best interest. Luthen is essentially like, I've given up everything. And so in essence, get back up there, bud. You're going to give up everything too, or you got to be ready to do it. Because that's what it takes to start rebellion. You're in too deep. So you're saying, because there's this idea that uh, control can't be maintained. Like, yeah, it takes constant vigilance. Right for the empire and so they're kind of exploiting the fact the same thing in the prison break like it's all mirrored in there there's more prisoners than there are guards they can't monitor everything all at once all they can do is make you think they are right are you saying that luthan is kind of taking the same approach with his web yes he's using the means of his enemy which is control yeah literally holding a gun to saw's face yeah right to make him comply or make him listen he's playing a really dangerous game now I'll say at this point, it doesn't seem like we've seen Luthen do something so bad that we are rooting against him. Even his, like, you know, man up speech to his uh, spy guy, it makes sense why he'd do it. I think if he's a a tragic figure, he's a a relatable, empathetic, tragic figure. Uh, And if he's, if ultimately where they're going to land is, look, this is just what it takes, I think he hasn't done something so devious or terrible yet like in in war realistically you know to win a completely just war for example world war ii decisions exactly like this had to be made in fact we had cracked the germans u-boat code and we knew it we knew what they were saying we knew where the u-boats were gonna strike in the atlantic the allies did but they didn't let on right away and they let more than a few ships go Mm. down because they couldn't tip their hand and tell the Germans that they knew where they were going to strike. They had to pretend like their code was still intact because the minute the Germans caught wind, they switched the code and you're back to square one. So that's the art of spycraft. Knowing when to act, it becomes sacrifice. You're sacrificing pawns. Right. And at what point is that morally acceptable? And at what point does it become deeply problematic? I don't know. What do you think Andor thinks? Not the the character of the show. So this ties into every theme Uh, in the whole thing. But Tony Gilroy in an interview one time, or uh, one of his co-writers talked about their writing process. And Gilroy, as they were writing this, would constantly say, these guys are like the gravel. So they're trying to pave a road, right? And when you pave a road, you don't just start with the asphalt. There has to be gravel underneath. 
that kind of jostles. It's huh. rough. It chips off each other. It gets destroyed. Yeah. But it's the only way to pave a smooth road on top. You need people to be the gravel and lay down their lives kind of in a bunch of morally ambiguous situations. Yeah. So to me, I think Gilroy's just exploring that idea in all its fullness. He's not pulling his punches on that. So who knows, right? I mean, maybe if the series lands this plane, we'll get some kind of answer. Maybe that is the answer. War and rebellion cost getting your hands dirty. Not everyone gets to fly an X-Wing and blow up the Death Star. Some people have to be the miserable spy on the inside of the ISB their whole lives and miss out on life with their daughter and wife, you know, or live in constant fear. It costs you something. It's just true. It does seem just true. And yet, we're also meant to say, no, right? There's a reason why Cassian's final scene ends with an optimistic manifesto, like, here's why we do this. Freedom will win. And not Mm -hmm. like kind of that downbeat, you know, I get my hands dirty. I think Luthen and Cassian are meant to mirror each other as they wrestle with that ends and means question, but they haven't resolved it yet, not by a huh. long shot. So you think they're they're building up Cassian to be, well, obviously he doesn't keep his hands clean. That's one of the hallmarks of his In character. the traditional way. But you're, he's going to be more of a noble hero than Luthen? I think the showrunners want us to look at Cassian and feel no compunction about being like, this guy's a hero. Mm-hmm. eventually like once he learns to stop being selfish so when he's selfish we're like come on dude like when he goes on his vacation to get away yeah. you're like i'm not rooting for you but then he hits rock bottom right and then so yeah i think they want us to look at cassian and say he's he is a hero he's a hero of the alliance who's willing to do what it takes to get the job done what makes him a hero i really think carlin it's that turn from selfishness to selflessness Hmm. So, like, what about the scene when in the prison break and Kino Loy, well, he's he's probably my favorite character. Oh, yeah. He's just, you see his character arc so complete. Um, and he gets to this point where he realizes we're not getting out of here. But he still has this fear. And actually, you see him a little bit weak for a minute when they get to the control deck and Cassian's got the guns and he's like, get on the radio, say your speech. And he's like, it has to be you. And the look in his eyes is like terrified. He doesn't know what to say. Oh, you know what? That actually, that mirrors the speech. This is sure is a series full of speeches. That mirrors the speech that our buddy, he's the guy, the Imperial guy who messes up the, uh, his mission in the beginning and he tailors the suit. Cyril. Cyril. The wimpy Imperial guy. That kind of mirrors Cyril's speech. And he's that guy that he's kind of a lower officer in the and he kind of works his way up but then he goofs it real bad and he gives this speech to his guys this is right at the beginning when they're about to go hunt down cassian and he gets up there and he's like thanks for coming today like i wouldn't want to do this with anyone but you but his speech just flops and they're looking at him like this is not an inspiring leader he is a little bit too desperate for this yeah and they don't have any trust in him yeah those two speeches kind of have the same vibe to me where they're like starting to give the speech, but it's not, you don't feel the energy starting to roll and pick up, you know? That's so good. What's the difference between those two? Oh, what a great question that is, right? Cyril, the Imperial guy, is in it for himself almost. Well, I don't know. See, they do a great job of yeah, blending I don't know. the self-interest with, he really believes in the goals of the Empire, as, he's, he's as like, he sees them. He's like a little anal, but he's not in it for the credit. He's willing to embarrass himself in front of, yeah. what's her name? 
the the cold blonde daedra yeah he's willing to totally embarrass himself in front of her in order to try to catch Cass. like he wants to catch cassian and finish the mission that he started he wants to avenge his fellow officers that got brutally murdered he believes in the system he thinks the system and the order is going to keep everyone in check and in line and and be safe and when he finds out that there's corruption within even from the ideals of the empire there's corruption and slackers and he's mortified by that yes you know carlin to me all of that falls under the the other theme which is struggle in the face of overwhelming odds Hmm. every character in this is wrestling with that struggle in some way even the villains and that's i loved the villains in this they're so good yeah. Like Daedra and that dude, Cyril. C- Cyril. You're like rooting for him. They're but then you're like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they too are trying to see, they're just pawns in a massive imperial edifice. And you mm-hmm. feel the crushing weight of it. And they're trying to steer the ship a little bit too. And you just feel like it's impossible that they're ever going to f- catch rebels given the the uh, things stacked against them. So when they br- have a breakthrough and it seems like they're on the right track, you're like, whoa there's kind of a you find yourself going go but then you're like no 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 bad bad but it's because they too are like the gravel that's being laid they're Mm. like struggling in the face of overwhelming odds and the truth is there is something heroic about that struggle Mm. Mm -hmm. there is there's something heroic about living for something bigger than yourself and i think that's something this show drives home that does not mean every cause is worth dying for and boy, we'll talk mm. about that in our Christian worldview. But I think the show yeah. runners would agree with us ultimately. But they're willing to demonstrate the truth that living for a bigger cause uh, is inspiring. It's worth it. We rightly look up to that and go, wow. And maybe their cause, the way they see it in their mind, is a noble cause. Would you say that? I think that's totally fair to say. Yeah. So then do we... Well, no, that's getting into the next segment. Right, right. It's it's murky, isn't it? It's and they let so it be juicy. But listen, I think we have to deal with that because um, very few people who are the villain say, "Yeah, I'm the villain." Yeah, right. It's like the Joker. He's like the only one. Yeah, or even Darth Vader and Palpatine, where they're like, "Join the dark side." You know, they literally, yeah. It's, it's literally called the, the dark, dark side, people. You know, it doesn't but take even a them, even them, they justify it by saying things like, oh, well, the dark side's going to help them resurrect their loved one or the right. dark side's going to give them power to restore justice to the world or blah, blah, blah. It's seductive and it's lying to them, but they have self-justification. Yeah, I think those themes are consistent themes that human beings need to deal with. I think one difference is that George Lucas was making Star Wars for children. He really was. He was making mm-hmm. it for the, for kids in the 70s, so totally different sensibilities and taste now. Like, it feels grown up. You know, their mm-hmm. blasters look like real World War II weapons because they did. They grabbed antiques and, like, re-welded them to look Star Wars-y, but they look real. Mm-hmm. Whereas the showrunners here are writing this show for those children grown up, right? Mm. So th- this is a show definitely written for a target audience of adults. Who grew up with Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, the original trilogy is is like a fairy tale. It's it's about Luke and he's just a he's just a boy who you know wants to blah 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 and then he just go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters (laughs) and he's but he's got a he he's got a destiny you know and then he like goes on this wild adventure it follows the hero's journey you know about the hero's journey it's like the classical plot structure whereas this this feels like a western this is political drama yeah 
It's got some Western elements. I, I felt that way too. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the great outdoors that they're in for the first Probably. couple of episodes. Also, just Aldani. the high stakes, you know? Like in a Western, a gun will kill you. And in Andor, a gun will kill yeah. you. And also hitting your head really hard or like falling. Getting crushed by credits on a ship. Or dr- drowning because you can't swim a mile. Like, yeah. yeah, getting crushed by credits. You have no plot armor. Nobody has plot armor. Refreshing. It is refreshing. And I, but listen, I'm not uh, here to disparage the original Star Wars trilogy. I think they're incredible. No, I'm not. Nope. They stand above the fray. Yeah. No, they do. They created this whole thing. Yes. Like Star Wars didn't exist before Star Wars. You've never said a truer word. <laughs> and now it does exist. And so we have so, it. <laughs> thank you, Pert Happily. So... This is why I decided to have a podcast, because I say super smart stuff that other people really want to hear. <laughs> so, Carlin, how would we say the filmmakers want us to conclude that struggle in the face of overwhelming odds? And I'd like to focus in on Cassian's journey, to be honest, because I think that's the golden thread that they're really telling that part of the story through. Don't go gently. That's what they're saying. Mm. You could give up. There's a million opportunities for him to give up. Mm. But even when there's one way out and it's going to cost you everything mm. and and cassian and again and again does not quit yeah or he tries and then he hits rock bottom yeah. right yeah and that one way out really is the motif of the rebels as they start to fight the empire it reminds mm-hmm. me of that edmund burke quote hmm. the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing hmm And that is so true, even in the face of overwhelming power like the Empire. The one way out, like their first goal is, we got to survive this thing together. You know, we we can't do it alone. So we've got to do it together. It's not quite like, I guess they don't really have the luxury or the room to be like, oh, I want to make sure all my fellow prisoners survive. Like, this is more desperate than that. This is, we have to first square one survive the only way to do that we got to do it together some of us are going to die but we're going to do it but as soon as they jump off that platform into the ocean thinking of the prisoners it's kind of every man for himself a little bit once they get their freedom so then what's their motivation after survive yeah i yeah i wrestled with that i was sad to see the whole group of prisoners disperse and i was like oh that is heartbreaking i mean again no plot armor yeah no plot armor Kino Loy, we don't know. He's probably dead. All the prisoners, probably dead. It's just, uh, it's just Cassian and that dude. I think what's his name, Meek, or uh, yeah, uh, he's Irish and he they, shows up in Rogue and One. They later. climb that cliff together. Well, actually, it starts out being one way out. I'd rather die fighting than giving them what they want. So it's kind of yes. like a one last fist raised against evil. But I think where they ground it, Carlin, is in that together mm. sense. Even though the stakes are high, people are going to die. You cannot save everyone. There's like a camaraderie that desperation forges. Mm. And that's like the bones of the Rebel Alliance. Mm. In fact, someone pointed this out. Hmm. The color scheme of the prisoners, hmm. the blue and the orange on their yeah. uniforms, yeah. becomes the color scheme of the Rebel Alliance. Oh. With the blue and orange on the wings of the X-Wings yeah. that go and blow up the Death Star later. That these prisoners were helping construct. The, blue, the orange and the white helmets. Yes. And the jumpsuits. Oh, it's, I, I have chills right now even just thinking about it. It is that togetherness because Cassian starts out as a selfish loner uh-huh. who doesn't actually know what it means to, to do anything with anyone, even though he's unbelievably skilled. Yeah. 
He's got no teamwork. Yeah. Because he doesn't value other people beyond what they can give him, including his hometown peeps. Like, he doesn't yeah. really... You get the sense he, like... Bix. He's, like, on and off again with her, but she opts for a dude who actually cares about her. Yeah. Cassian's right? too much of a greasy loner at that uh-huh. stage to really be worthy of her, right? Totally. And and it's weird because you kind of recognize that trope a little bit from, like, hometown kind of situations. Like, he's the guy who never made something of himself. Mm. He's always a day late and a dollar short. He's never applied himself to something well enough, but he's got like a bag of tricks and he's unbelievably clever. Yeah. He gets himself out of scrapes. Yeah. And it takes going to prison and forging those bonds with his fellow prisoners, including the doctor guy, his mm-hmm. like station mates, right? Which mm-hmm. we think probably they're all dead. Even the old guy that they're like, come on, man. Like they're trying to get him to like, you can do it. We don't want you to die. They're in it together. They forge those bonds. Uh-huh. And Cassian needs that to redeem himself as a character. And yeah. I'll just say this. Hmm. That is in stark contrast to how Luthen operates. Oh. Luthen is big on, he knows there's one way out, but he's taking. He's big on the taking side of it. Cassian, in a, a few critical moments, has given to the people around him. And it's what makes him a hero, I think. To answer your huh. question from way earlier, I think that's what makes him a hero. What moments are you thinking of? He gives credits back to the people he owes back on Ferrix. Okay, yeah. Ultimately, he's in it for the people of Ferrix. He loves them. They're his people. Yeah. His mom, he truly loves his mom. Oh. There are so many, actually. So like, like a dozen small moments in the prison. Mm-hmm. He's there for Kino, and he's helping Kino rise to the occasion. You could say it's selfish because Cassian's a survivor, but I think it transcends that. I think he actually cares about his friend. Yeah. And people are complex. Like, sometimes we have more than one reason for doing something. Right. But what we're going to see is, hopefully, the noble side of him will win out more and more. Yeah. And if we're going to combine, and I'm just going to make a prediction here on on where they're going to go with this. If we combine the ends and the means plus the ways that these characters are struggling in the face of overwhelming odds themes together, uh-huh. I think we get something close to where they could resolve this eventually. And again, I go back to Nemec's, uh little manifesto that he wrote. He says, there'll be times when the struggle seems impossible when you're alone, unsure, and dwarfed by the, the scale of the enemy. But then he says, remember this, freedom is a pure idea. It's spontaneous. There are entire battalions out there who don't know that they're already fighting on the side of freedom. So there's this idea of being alone and coming into kind of togetherness from being Mm -hmm. selfish and coming into a cause that's bigger than yourself, Mm. from being uh, controlling and taking towards being noble and sacrificial. And the rebellion Mm. is growing. And I'll just add one last piece to this masterpiece of a show, the Mm. soundtrack (laughs) <laughs> adds a new instrument every time it plays. Oh. It starts and ah, they mirror it on Ferrix where they play the song. It starts with like one or two disparate instruments playing all alone. And then it grows into this chorus where they're playing together. Yeah. It's beautiful. Dang. It's the best show I've ever seen. Woo. Um, another way to look at it to detect what are the virtues of the rebellion is what are the tactics of the empire? Hmm. Because that's one of their main tactics is keep them isolated, keep them hmm. separated. Don't let them know that they're, they don't, they don't need to know that they're in this together. Right. You might have a group here and a group there and a group there, 
but they don't know about each other. So they're not working in tandem. They're not connected. You are struggling against this massive power alone. Yes. And they use that to hammer in despair. That's why they, they separate the prisoners from communicating to each other, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that coming together is so profound. Cassian, we know where his character arc ends. And I think that's, that's really helpful. Like, remember in Rogue One, the movie, Cassian has Galen Erso in his sights at this uh-huh. Imperial Research oh, Facility. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the key moment of, this of is, Rogue One. This is an ends versus the means moment for Cassian in the movie. And huh. Cassian doesn't take the shot. But what happens is the rest of the Rebel Alliance, who are used to getting their hands a little dirty, bomb the platform where he's at and he dies. Right. Yeah. So there's Cassian standing actually in contrast, even to some of the tools used by the good guys. Yeah. And I love that because it, it shows the complexity of war. It shows that these questions aren't easy, but it resolves it in a way that says, look, the ends do not always justify the means. You have to some, at some point do what's right. Now, in that scenario, they kill Galen. And the, if they hadn't killed him then they would know better about the plans. Like that kind of hurts the rebel cause that he's gone. Exactly. It would have worked out better if Cassian had, if they hadn't killed him. Exactly. But Cassian makes the choice not to, even in the face of overwhelming pressure, like a direct order. If you see Galen Erso, take the shot. He gets told that, but he disregards because it's not right and he knows it. So Cassian, and I love this, he's not a perfect character. All the times he shoots first and kills other rebels, boo. But where they're going with it is that you need to uh, rise to the level of a hero where the ends do not always justify the means. And I wonder if they're setting up Luthen and Cassian mm. as being united in that one way out theme and that you can't run mm. from evil, but being divided on how they're going to do it. Luthen is going to keep taking that devil's bargain that seems and feels so yeah. necessary, but he's going to keep taking it and keep taking it and keep taking it. And we don't know where that's going to land him. And Cassian is going to learn part of one way out means we get out together. As many of us as can make it. If someone falls, you help them up. We keep moving. We climb and we sacrifice for our friends. That's what K2SO does for Mm -hmm. Cassian. That's what Cassian does for Jin Urso in Rogue One. That's what they, all of them combined, ultimately do for the rebellion. It's noble and it's beautiful. I wonder if that's where they're going with it. And just to harken back to the beginning of our conversation, it starts with Cassian getting in the scrape where he kills one guy on accident. And then he's standing there with the gun pointed at the other guy. And he's like, I'll say whatever you want me to say. We'll go in together. Like, just don't kill me. Like, you don't have to kill me. And he looks at him and just shoots him. Like, (sighs) doesn't even blink. Yeah, tough. Maybe we're seeing a character transformation in Cassian. Maybe. Ooh. Lots of complexity to explore, though, and that's that's a sign of great writing and great storytelling. It's true. So we'll see you guys on episode two of this two-parter. That's right. Ooh.